congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, C.S. Lewis wrote once that there are only two types of people in this world. Those who say to God, your will be done, and those to whom God says, your will be done. And we don't have to think too hard to imagine the life and the end of those who follow their own will. But grief and despair man brings upon himself when he demands that his will be done and not God's. The highway of history is littered with the ruined and lost souls of millions who chose to do what they wanted to do. Hell is going to be filled, in fact, to overflowing with formerly self-willed sinners. While God's will brings us rest and peace, man's will brings him stress and uncertainty. God's will ultimately brings us joy and eternal life. Man's will brings us misery and eternal death. So the question is, which are we going to be? Those who confess to God, your will be done, or those to whom God says, your will be done. And if we agree that the better way is to follow God's will, then we need to realize that we don't even have the willpower to do this. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray to our Heavenly Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught us to pray this, that our Savior God would equip us with everything good so that we may do His will. And so our theme this afternoon as we look at Lord's Day 49 is this, Christ commands His church to pray that God's will would be done. And we'll see two points in the first place, that that will would be done on earth, and in the second place, as it is in heaven. But as Christ commands his church to pray that God's will would be done, we're asking in the first place that this would happen on earth. And this we heard in the first part of the petition. Grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without any murmuring obey your will, for it alone is good. A couple of preliminary questions before we dive into it. First of all, for the sake of the boys and girls perhaps, or for the sake of all of us as we've forgotten what we learned in catechism, what, what do we mean when we speak of God's will? What does that mean exactly? Well, God's will can refer to a couple of things. Sometimes when we speak of God's will, we can refer to his determination, his foreordination of all things that will come to pass through all of history. God willed it to be so. But his will can also refer to his desire for how men ought to live before him. God sets down in his word, out of his infinite wisdom and perfect holiness, how he would have us and all men live before him. And this is the aspect of God's will that we're looking at following the Heidelberg Catechism. A second preliminary question is, why is this prayer even necessary? And the answer is very simple. For this reason, because man's will, our wills, were corrupted by the fall. While God's will is always perfect, it's always good, our wills have become perverse and selfish. We have wills that are in dire need of renewal. Listen, for instance, to what God's word says of what has happened to us in light of the fall. Just two examples. Uh, Genesis 6 verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth 
and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so our wills lead us in the way of evil continually. Or think of what the prophet Jeremiah says uh, in his prophecy, that the heart is deceitful above all else. He says, who can discern it? And so our wills, and we can refer to many, many different verses in the Bible. You can read the first three chapters of Romans, for instance, to see what has become our condition after the fall. But we see again and again that our wills are corrupt. And so we can't even trust our wills. Quite often we think we know what is best for us, but, but we actually don't. Solomon, in his God-given wisdom, writes that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And that's why our catechism reminds us that in this third petition, we're praying that we and all men may deny our own wills and obey God's will. And notice, first of all, that this is a prayer for ourselves, for God's people, that we would do God's will in these last days. Specifically, Paul says in our passage in verse 3 that God's will is our sanctification. And again, boys and girls, what is sanctification? One of those big words. It simply means cleansing and renewal, the washing of the Holy Spirit, renewing us so that more and more we become uh, like Jesus. And, and sanctification is a procedure that begins at conversion and continues all our lives and as any Christian who has lived the Christian life for any length of time will tell you, it's a painful procedure because it involves us more and more giving up our independence and our self-dependence and leaning more and more on the God of our salvation and seeking more and more to do what pleases Him. Sanctification is a renewal unto holiness and righteousness, something that is foreign to our, our wills. In light of the fall. And Paul begins by defining sanctification as abstaining from sexual immorality. He says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. And he begins by pointing them to abstain from sexual immorality. And we might wonder why. Why does he start there of all places? Well, on the one hand, it is perhaps the sin that most human beings struggle with the most. But we have to understand that Paul was also writing to these converts who lived in a very specific cultural context. According to scholars and historians, Thessalonica and Greek culture as a whole had a very loose, very relaxed view of marriage and sexual relations. For example, it was socially acceptable in that time for young men to do what we call today sow their wild oats before marriage, and even after. That was permissible and acceptable in that society. The philosophers who were looked up to as the wise men of that time, the philosophers even defended a young man's right to sleep around and argued that they should not be denied that indulgence. One philosopher said that after listening to the voice of desire and passion, a young man could then apply himself to marriage and family. And so that's the kind of corrupt society that uh, Paul was writing to. It was accepted as normal in that society that a man use his female slaves for whatever his heart desired. In all the cities, prostitution was quite common. 
As a matter of fact, many of the religious practices in that day, the, the pagan Greek culture, included some kind of sexual activity. But now the Thessalonian Christians had been converted to Christ. And yet they continued to live among such a people with such practices. This was everyday life around them. And to many of them, it would even have been hard to understand how in the world adultery and fornication is wrong. How could that be called immoral? This was all they had known all their lives. This is what they had grown up around. And Paul writes to them, and by implication us, in the authority of Christ, that God's will is that they be sanctified, they be cleansed from sin. And he says, instead, each one of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. His point is that we all must be learning and progressing in mastering our own bodies, increasing in self-control, suppressing those urges, doing what is right and pleasing in God's sight. God's will Paul says in verse 1 is that we walk and please him, no longer pleasing ourselves. That includes God's will, that is. Verse 9, loving our brethren in the faith, not doing them wrong, not doing them harm, respecting their marriage, their relationships. It includes, verse 11, living quietly, minding our own affairs, working. That is to support the church and her calling. We also hear in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 that God's will for us is that we give thanks in all circumstances. That is his will for us as his children. That we always look for the silver lining. What is my father doing in this situation as horrendous as it may seem to me? We hear in 1 Peter 2.15 that it is God's will that by doing good we may silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And so that's one of the reasons we seek to do good in this world. So that those who would accuse the church of being corrupt or wicked or, or ignorant or backward, whatever it may be, their mouths may be silenced by our good deeds. Oh, we might think of an Old Testament passage, Micah 6 verse 8, very familiar to most of us, I'm sure, where we hear God speaking of his requirements of us, which is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so when we ask, what is God's will for our lives? We hear these things laid out in the Bible more and more. All of this has to do with our sanctification. More and more as we give ourselves over to the working of the Holy Spirit to be renewed into the image of Christ. Now, in case we're ever tempted to wonder or to think, maybe this is something I can put off. I don't have to be too involved with this right now. I can enjoy my life while I'm young, and uh, I'll get to it when I get to it sometime when I'm, I'm old or whatever it may be. Just in case, listen to this warning from the very mouth of Jesus himself. And this is in Matthew 7, verse 21. And this has been called one of, if not the most frightening verses in the Bible. Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, And so understand that when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking as God's people, we're asking that our heavenly Father will help us to do what is 
what we are incapable of doing, but something that is absolutely crucial, it is critical, it is vital for us to be walking in God's will. Jesus warns here of the terrible consequence to the covenant people, and this is speaking, spoken to the covenant people who do not make every effort to do God's will. That's not, we're not going back to salvation by works. We're talking about showing the fruit of your salvation by walking in accordance with God's will. If you're not, sometimes we have to question whether we are converted or not. But the Catechism also reminds us that when we pray that God's will may be done on earth, this is also a prayer for all men, we and all men. In other words then, to put it another way, we're praying for the conversion. We are to be praying for the conversion of more and more sinners in this world. We're to be praying that the Holy Spirit would change hearts of stone into hearts of flesh more and more. That the Holy Spirit would make alive many more who are even now spiritually dead. We're praying, as Paul calls them in verse 5, for Gentiles, unbelievers who do not know God, who do not control their own bodies, but live in the passion of lust, who have a very loose view of sexual relations. You know, when you think about the unconverted, the people of the world, they don't go by God's standards. They live by their own will, by their own thinking. And so what does the world say? They have sayings like, let your conscience be your guide. If it feels good, do it. Don't let anyone judge you. Hooray for tolerance. They applaud more freedom, less restrictions. And we see the results of that kind of foolish thinking in our world, don't we? It's very obvious. Infidelity, a high divorce rate, 100,000 abortions in Canada every year. That's only in Canada. The college campus hookup culture, a booming sex trade industry, which is probably one of the only things that COVID has not slowed down. Child pornography, internet addictions, these, this is the fruit of the world living by their own will. Man's will, you see, is to put his own selfish desires ahead of God's. And left to himself, unregenerate man would never seek, he cannot seek after God's holiness. And that's why we, it's put upon our shoulders, we are to be praying for them. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are, we are praying here for the conversion and the salvation of those who are still outside the church and still enslaved by their sin. The Catechism reminds us that God's will alone is good. God's will alone is perfectly wise. He alone knows the end from the beginning. He alone can work all things together for our good. And so when Christ commands us to pray that God's will would be done, we're actually asking that throughout this earthly life, our wills would not be done. That we would be striving more and more to do God's will, which leads, as we said, to true joy and peace and safety and contentment. 
But as Christ commands his church to pray that God's will would be done, we're also asking in the second place that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second part of the catechism answer goes this way, grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. And so we're petitioning in this prayer our God to give us the grace to obey his will just as obediently as the angels in heaven, the heavenly hosts. The angels in heaven, of course, they yearn and they find their greatest joy in doing God's will. Us and as God's people on earth, not as much as we like. Paul mentions here brotherly love, verse 9. And let's be honest, is it always easy to love all our brothers and sisters in the faith, especially the ones who have maybe hurt us or disappointed us in the past? Is it easy to forgive or to seek peace with our brother in the Lord? And yet Christ calls us to brotherly love. He wants us to live before him with each other as faithfully, loyally, unified as the angels in heaven. Listen to uh, Galatians 6 verses 1 to 2. Galatians 6 verse 1 to 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is Christ's requirement for us, that we are to love each other and be concerned for each other in this way. But again, because of the old sinful nature, it's not easy for us, is it? Right? That's why we need to pray about these things and ask for God's help, for his grace, to, that we may live as he wants us to live. To live, uh, live with each other as faithfully, joyfully, as unified as the angels in heaven do. I mean, think about it. Which of us would be first in line to confront a fellow church member with, say, suspicions of adultery or alcohol abuse or unethical business practice, practices or marital uh, or, or uh, parental neglect, spiritual complacency? Not too many of us. We're not too quick to confront our brothers and sisters with negative things like these. But we should. We heard it. That's God's will for us. And that's why Christ commands us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Savior God has placed us within a community, a body of believers, a family. And he wills that we live as faithfully with each other as the angels in heaven. He wills that we lead quiet lives, lives of peace and goodwill. Minding our own business, Paul says. Not looking at what our neighbor has done or is doing. Putting away that competitive nature in us. Putting to death the desire to do better and to be better than our neighbor. As the angels in heaven. Because you see, in the heavenly realm, there is no jealousy. There's no jostling for position. There's no whining and grumbling. In heaven, angels of every station... And so, archangels, cherubim, seraphim, 
angels of every station in heaven in their assigned tasks, whether it be worshiping God, guarding, relaying messages, destroying enemies, all of the angels in heaven, they do their work without murmuring, without question. And this is the standard that Christ sets before us as we pray, your will be done, that we may properly obey God's will. As the angels obey God in heaven, so must the church be obedient on earth with godly affection toward brothers and sisters in the Lord, honoring and giving preference to each other. Again, these are not things that come naturally to us. We can be reserved as human beings. We can hold back when it comes to affection, reaching out to each other. We're not as giving of ourselves as we ought to be. That's why Jesus commands us to pray to our Heavenly Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking Him to help us change. We're asking Him to enable us to obey His will as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Sometimes obeying God's will, of course, is difficult. We're not denying that. Sometimes Following God's will can place us into, into some very uncomfortable situations. Sometimes following God's will can bring loneliness, estrangement from others, even persecution, mockery. In this life, there will be times when we walk through dark valleys, when we have thorns in our sides, we'll stub our toes on rocks, spiritually speaking, and, and quite often we don't even understand what good can come from this as we're striving to follow God's will. But we rest in this, and this is our comfort. Knowing our Father's love and wisdom, that it is perfect, we may be able to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we may trust in Him and trust Him as the angels in heaven trust Him. Sometimes the will of God may deny us things that we really think that we need or, or even deserve. Sometimes His will may not be according to our timing. Sometimes God's will may take us down the road of suffering as it did Jesus. Let us remember in these times how Jesus set the great example for us when He said, Father, not my will be done, but yours. And that submission to his father's will, of course, took Jesus down the road of, of insults, mockery, pain, abandonment, death, and burial, the final humiliation. And like our Savior, God's will may take us down the road of suffering at times. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a most difficult condition, uh, confession as long as we live in this fallen world. And yet, if we understand what we're asking, it is a wonderful request, a request that we need to be making continually of God because we understand that God's will is always good, always best, always perfect. His will for us, perhaps at this present time, may be confusing. But even if we don't understand it in this life, one day in the new heavens and the new earth, when God brings his kingdom into all fullness, we'll understand. We'll finally understand that God's will is always good and always best. And so, beloved of God, let me ask one more time, which are we going to be?
Those who confess to God, your will be done. Or those to whom God says, your will be done. And if we agree that the better way is to follow God's will, let us continue to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let's do this, looking forward to the day when in God's kingdom, our sinful wills will fall away from us. And we will more clearly understand God's will and be able to obey it. Until that day, may God give us grace to obey his will. Amen.